Well, we've been, uh, uh, started last week this series called Let's Go. Uh, video says it all, and it's an opportunity for us to, to really, as we begin this year, to um, solidify ourselves into a system of values. Values are important for us. Values are what says who we are, but more importantly, values are what we can aspire to become, because if we have a value that makes sense, a value that stretches us, we have something to measure where we are in life at the present and where God wants us to be as we move along. So uh, keeping our eyes on those sets of values is extremely important. Last week, we talked about the value of love, and I uh, shared with you, uh, we looked at uh, you know, whose voice to listen to. Do we listen to the shepherd? Do we listen to the thief? And that's the difference between life and death. And we looked at the life of the Apostle Paul, uh, who was bringing down um, hell and havoc, so to speak, on Christianity in the early years, and how God changed his life through the act of love. And Paul became uh, one of the greatest advocates, if not the greatest advocate outside of Jesus, uh, who uh, made us uh, an opportunity to see what faith is like. So today we're going to talk about what it means to be real. And I'm going to be uh, using another one of Paul's letters, specifically to the church in Rome. So we're going to look at Romans 12, and we're going to look at Romans 7, and we're going to look at a couple of different scriptures in between. But uh, let me just kind of set this up a little bit. Uh, Rome is a, is a place that a lot is happening, and, and, and as all of the churches that Paul wrote to in those early years, as he spent most of his life after accepting Jesus as Savior, uh, spent most of his years living in prison and writing, uh, he, um, he was sending letters to churches. Rome was a church that was uh, trying to find its identity. They, they constantly, like Corinth, two large cities, were constantly being badgered about what God will they believe in? What God will rule their life and what value system will they use? And so this is kind of the, the, the battle, the audience, the people that Paul is writing to. So uh, in a couple of these things we're going to look at in, in Romans 12 and Romans 7 as well, we're going to look at some of the challenges that he places before them. And I think that those challenges are the same before us. So let's kind of like jump right in. We're going to be at Romans 12, 1 and 2, and I'm going to read from the, uh, the message translation Paul writes, so here's what I want you to do. God helping you. Stop right there. Here's what I want you to do, but listen, God helping you. So Paul is encouraging, saying immediately that that which he is going to ask the people to do, you can't do it on your own, that you have to partner with God. More importantly, you have to surrender to God and allow God to rule in your life. He says, take your everyday ordinary life. So think about what your everyday ordinary life is. Is it going to work? Is it eating, you know, uh, raisin bran every morning? Is it jogging? Is it, is it school? What is it? So take all of that, whether it's you're sleeping, you're eating, you're going to work, walking around life, and place it before God as an offering. So take a look at your life right now. Take a look at the life that you leave now, the life that you're going to begin tomorrow morning, and place that before God, he says, and he says, do it as if you're making God an offering. Embracing what God does for you is the best thing that you can do for God. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into it without even thinking. So Paul says that, that, that we are to live in the world, but we are not to be of the world. Paul says we, we need to understand what it means to be a citizen, let's say, of the United States. We need to understand what it means to be a resident of Largo or Clearwater or Tampa to kind of microcosm this down. We need to understand what all that means to live in our neighborhoods, um, our, our familial relationships and, and friendships. We need to understand what all of that is, but we need to make sure that the world, the culture doesn't dictate how we live life. 
We can experience what culture says. We can push up against what culture says. We can receive some things that culture says. But culture, Paul says, cannot dictate your life. So he says, make sure that you are well-adjusted, but that you're not fitting into it without even thinking, okay? He said, instead, fill your attention, fix your attention on God, and you'll be changed from the inside out. Okay, Paul says God is what we fix on. That when we fix on God, when we look at God, when we, when we breathe God, when we study the scriptures, when we're in our relationships with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ, we begin to see what life can truly be. And that's the transformation that he's talking about. So I was thinking a little bit as I was uh, meditating on what this means, I started thinking to myself, why is it so hard for us to be truthful about who we really are? Okay, social media is great about this. What you put out on social media, in most instances, doesn't really represent the life that you're living. It's the life you want it to be. You know, year, um, weeks ago, months ago, maybe a year ago, I think I shared with you uh, how somebody had said that they were taking this world tour and they had put all these pictures of all these countries and had photoshopped themselves into all these and all their friends were envious that, they got to, that their friend got to travel and finally she said, it's just a ruse. So, so what we're thinking about is why is it hard to be honest about ourselves? We just can't seem to bear the flaws that we have. And, and for me to share with you what my flaws are is not a good thing or a comfortable thing. And for you to share with me your flaws, because all of a sudden, when we know the junk about each other, we then start to judge one another. We then start picking and choosing and positioning whose friend will be, who we'll hang out with, whether we are better than you or you are, might be better than us, so we've got to strive to be better than that. So that the list would be endless of all these examples of why we hide our lives. I mean, think about it. How many of us know the secret alcoholic? And we've lived maybe with one of those. How many of us uh, know the mom who's taking prescription drugs and who does it quietly? How many of us um, are aware of that person who sneaks off into pornography as an escape because they're having difficulty in dealing with what life is all about? You see, we avoid being honest because the truth makes us feel bad. When I know the truth about myself, it's not a good thing. But you know, there, there's worse things than feeling bad, right? There's worse things than feeling bad about yourself. For starters, clinging to something bad about ourselves or refusing to address it, that's worse. So it's one thing to know there's some bad in us. It's another thing to not want to deal with it. It's another thing to want to ignore it. It's another thing to say, I'm not going to address that. And see, when we ignore those things, it's bad for our heart, it's bad for our soul, it's bad for our relationships, and we begin to see the problems and the challenges that'll come. So I believe that, that we'll never get anywhere in life unless we first acknowledge the truth about who we really are. You see, dishonesty erodes credibility. If you've ever been in a relationship with someone where they've been dishonest to you, you know what I'm talking about, right? Right? Because now all of a sudden trust comes into play and, and, and now you're not sure if you can trust and then all of a sudden um, you're, you're making them work for to reestablish that relationship. So dishonesty erodes credibility, but it's also how it affects others. So we have to be truthful about who we are. Erin Brown writes this and, and she talks about what's called a plastic truth. A false narrative, she writes about. She says, uh, quote, what we've seen so many times in our heads becomes our plastic truth. 
okay? So you've thought about things about yourself or how you think you might want to be. You've created a false truth in your head, and it's not truth, but you've created that. She says, over time, these fake parts of the story, the pieces that, we're, that we've made up, actually cement into the gaps between truth. We can say something that's a lie so many times, all of a sudden we'll start believing it. That's basically what, what Aaron Brown's work summarizes up to be. So we convince ourselves that it's not that, but we convince ourselves of what she calls a plastic truth, a narrative. So when we're dishonest with ourselves, we have a hard time owning the outcomes of our decisions. Why? Because I want to blame you. I want to blame someone else. I want to blame the system. I want to blame anybody but take ownership myself because it's so much easier for me to name and blame and shame than it is for me to understand what it is that I'm doing. So transparency comes into play as we're talking about authenticity today. And here's, here's something here. If someone is transparent, it means that person cannot or does not hide or conceal anything. It means what you see on the outside is what's happening on the inside. It means that, that I am not going to lie to you. As painful as it might be, as much trouble as I might get myself into or might hurt your feelings by telling you the truth, that's really the worst one. That authenticity says we bypass all of that because we must be honest with who we are. That's the first step. The first step in authenticity. Be honest with who you are. So authenticity requires that we ask some really poignant questions. Now, let me ask you, you know, think about it for a second. When was the last time you really asked yourself some tough questions? Most times, my experience is, I'll ask myself questions so that I give myself an excuse to do what it is that I'm thinking about doing. Anybody else suffer from that illness? Just me, okay. So, so, so the questions that we have to ask ourselves, here's a couple of them. I want you to remember these. Why am I secretly doing this? So if I want to be authentic, I've got to ask myself, why am I secretly doing this? Here's another one. Why am I avoiding doing the right thing? All right, see, we get caught up in emotion, we get caught up in movements, we get caught up in silly stuff, and we don't want to be the dissenting voice because, well, everybody else is saying this. And this is where a lot of people get in trouble. They lose sight of their authentic principles. They lose sight of who they are authentically because they're, they're afraid because they want to avoid doing the right thing because, well, maybe there's too much pressure to not. Here's a third one. Why did I allow myself to cross the line and do what I did. Our life is kind of like a football game, right? It's, it's, a, it's a game of inches, maybe a game of yards. And some of us will live life and we'll understand what the parameters are that we live in. We'll understand as long as I'm traveling within this box with these guardrails, I'm okay because I'm not breaking a law and I'm not harming anybody. But it'd be great if that's kind of where we stayed, but, but how often are we kind of like rubbing up against those guardrails? Come over this side. And the next thing you know, we're stepping over a guardrail and we're kind of one foot in and one foot out. We're kind of seeing what's going on. You see, an authentic life avoids that and it places us to understand the truth about life. 
The Apostle Paul, he struggled with this, and, and some say that this was the thorn in his side. And, you know, and listen, I have struggled and read and reread the Scriptures. What's the thorn? What's it, was it pride? Was it, was it this? Was it a physical ailment? What was it? But, but we just, it's just described as a thorn, in his, a thorn in his side, which means it's something that just like irritated him. That It wasn't just a, an irritation. It was something that bothered him so deeply that he spent most of his day agonizing that this was going on. And it was this battle inside of himself that one moment he knew what the right thing to do was and he was doing that and all of a sudden he found himself doing the wrong thing. It's like I know what's right, I know what's sane, I know what's holy, but why, why am I not doing that? I'm doing this. And he's going off in this direction. And this, this was the thorn that was in his side, this battle that he had. It's almost like at one moment he's Dr. Bruce Banner, and the next moment he's the Incredible Hulk. He can't control it. And he doesn't know the source of why he's doing what he's doing. We have to be truthful about this. Paul was not the only one who struggles with that. I struggle with it, and my guess is you do too. But the question is, are we willing to talk about it? Are we willing to, to put it out there to our brothers and sisters so that they may pray over us? That, as James says, to come and lay hands upon us, to, to pray a prayer of healing, of righteousness, to anoint with oil, to set the captives free, so to speak. The challenges that come. Now, Jesus said this, um, but you may not know that Jesus said this because politicians say this, and Politicians rarely ever say that Jesus said this. So I guess if uh, you think this, you need to make sure that you understand that Jesus said this. You know the truth, and the truth will what? Set you free. The truth will set you free. When we tell the truth, it removes us from dishonesty. As hard as it is when we tell the truth, it makes us more credible. When we tell the truth, we are authentic. When I counsel people and they're having challenges in their relationships, it usually boils down to communication in most instances. And what happens is, is that one person in the relationship is what I call the giver, and the other person is the taker. One is giving a lot of crap to the other one, and the other one's taking the crap, okay? I'm sorry I said crap in church, but... So, so this, this is the problem with the relationship. And, and what we see in this is, is that they have to learn how to speak truthfully. You have to be able to speak to people knowing it might hurt. It might hurt you. It might hurt them. But we have to be able to engage in a level of honesty, authenticity, so that we can help one another be sharpened as iron sharpens iron, as a scriptural reference would say. So we learn from this is that telling the truth will remove us from becoming a prisoner of dishonesty. The proverb says this, integrity guides, but those without it are destroyed by their duplicity. So Paul is also saying in this battle of why don't I do what I want to do when I want to do, I want to do what's good, but even though it's good, I can't do that. I don't do what's good, I do what's bad, and I do what's evil. I don't want to do evil. And it's this convoluted argument that he's having with himself. He's describing his understanding of authenticity. 
he is saying pretty poignantly, it's a weakness. The struggle that's within us is a weakness, and we, we all live in weakness. I, I remember when um, uh, Patty and I had been married a couple of years, and uh, we were having a spirited conversation about something, and uh, we were at her parents' house, and it was obvious that the temperature in the room was a little chilly. You understand what I mean? And her dad pulled me aside. And I was just like, but she doesn't get this. She doesn't understand. I, you know, this bothers me. I don't like this. I don't like. And he just looked at me and he said, Bob, don't judge Patty too harshly for her weakness. He looked at me and he said, if she didn't have them, chances are she would have never married you. Isn't there some truth to that? Not just for my wife, but for us. So, so we have to understand that there's weakness that, that's involved here. And, 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 and in that weakness, we have to decide authentically how we're going to handle it, what we're going to do with it. You know, one of the greatest joys I have in my life is being a father and a grandfather. I know I don't look like a grandfather. I'm too young. But, um, but you know, hey, we've got six grandkids and, and um, just love them to death. And, and, and I love both of those, because being able to be a father of two adult daughters and being a grandfather of six grandkids gives me a unique perspective of what the relationship is between a father and a child, between a father and their children. And it helps me put things in perspective. And, and, and there's been times in life raising our girls and now helping to raise our, our grandkids. There are examples and times when they would mess up. There were times when, when we would say, don't do that, and they would do it. There were times when, when we would say, go north, and they'd want to go south or whatever the case is. And, and, and in those instances, sometimes they were painful instances, and sometimes they were just like friendly life lessons. But in all of those instances, I had a choice as a father and now as a grandfather. I could either rub it in or I could rub it out. And so Paul says, how do we deal with the fact of our weaknesses, the fact that we know that we're weak, the fact that authenticity is important? When our fellow brothers and sisters are struggling, when, when the challenges are there, do we rub it in or do we rub it out? You know, thinking about that example of being a father and a grandfather, brings me to Hebrews 4. And the writer, the writer says some interesting things here. Therefore, we have a high priest, Jesus, who was, has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold firmly to the faith that we confess. I love that. So, so he, he points out, the writer points out that Jesus has gone before us. Jesus understands that we don't worship some God ethereally, that, that God is so detached like, like deism, that God created and stepped out of the way and just said, have at it. We don't believe that. We believe God is active and engaging. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who was tempted in every way just as we are. Jesus slash God was tempted in every way that you're tempted. Everything that bothers you, everything that corrupts you, everything that you aspire to that isn't holy, Jesus was tempted with the same things. But here's the difference. The writer says what? Yet as without sin. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence 
so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So when it comes to a life filled with grace, what kind of life do you want? When people look at your life, what kind of life do you want them to see? That, oh, they were the greatest business person, oh, they were the greatest student, they were the greatest healthcare professional. Is that what you want them to see? Is that all you want them to see? What do you want them to see in your life? You want them to see stories of God's unfailing grace administered to you. Let me let, me, let, me let you in on a little secret. In case you don't already know this about me, let me just say this. Your story, blemished in all, is an important story to tell. Don't hide it. When you tell your story with the blemishes and the challenges and the struggles and all of the, the, the stuff that has just made it difficult for you, when you tell that story to others, guess what it does? Do you know that you're administering grace to someone else? You're thinking like, why would my bad life administer grace? Because you're helping them to see that they're not alone. But more importantly, you add to the story by saying, but that's the way I was. And when I came to know Jesus Christ, this is what changed. That's what Paul's talking about in Romans 12. Don't let the ordinary business of life detach you. But give your life, another translation would say, present your bodies as a living sacrifice to God. So we know that it's important to share that which isn't is there John writes this in his letter the one that is in you is greater than the one who's in the world you need to remember that Jesus is with you always you don't check him at the door you don't go out on a date I used to tell our daughters, when you go out on a date, if the boy invites you to the back seat, tell them that Jesus is back there too. And do what Jesus would do. You can't be exempt. He's there. So here's the last thing on, on authenticity. Authenticity through love brings relationships to life. All throughout his public ministry, even what little bit of his life in between that we know Jesus projected something about the horizon. Every sermon that he gave, every act that he committed, every miracle that he proposed and made happen, all led to one thing, and that was the love of God. And Jesus, as he gathered his followers in that upper room, the night in which he would give himself up for us, he sat there and he said to them, he said that all of this stuff and these mysteries of all the things and the laws that you abide by as good Jewish men and women. None of that matters. What matters is that you do this. You understand and receive this new command that I give you to love one another. Living life as Jesus taught means that we have to make choices. When you love someone, it's not easy especially when you're not getting along with the other person that you're called to love. And see, sometimes we mix up love as being that we have to be right about something. When Jesus said, love 
everyone as I've loved you. He didn't say be right about it. He said what's important is not being right about whatever it is that's dividing you. He says you need to be right about the relationship, not what it is that you're holding to, that you've got to be right about this, and they're wrong, so I'm holding a grudge. He said the relationship is what's most important, and that night he says that love protects all relationships. We're to do what our Heavenly Father has done to us. We're to love God as God has loved us, and we're to love others in the same way. Listen, I, I know when we talk about authenticity as a value, when we, when we intermingle love into that, and see, all of these are intertwined. So the weeks ahead, you know, you're going to hear how these things continue to connect, but they just do. So what it means to be authentic and to love means is that that you need to make the phone call, you need to send the email, you need to set up that meeting at Starbucks or wherever you might have coffee, socially distanced, of course, and you need to be able to start working out the fractures in the relationships that you have. Remember, love is not about being right. Love is about protecting the friendship. Love is about protecting the relationship. Even when there's disagreement, Love matters. Listen, when you make yourself vulnerable to that, the other person might not even care, might not mean anything at all that you've said what you've said to try to reconcile that relationship because you're being authentic. And you know what? It doesn't matter. You're being true to what Jesus has called you to do. So folks, we're to love, we're to be authentic. Two of five critical values that we have in life. And we need to make sure we don't just hear this in one ear and out the other. But I encourage you to go back and wrestle over these words and let the Holy Spirit do his work in you, amen?